0: I do want to remind you, if you've not gotten your Great Detectives of Old Time radio t-shirt, you can go to t-shirt.greatdetectives.net and order at any time now. We'll still have a a t-shirt promotional period In November, but any time of the year, you can order uh, your Great Detectives of Old Time radio t shirt at t shirt.greatdetectives.net. All right, it's time for today's episode of That Strong Guy, and as usual, we have no idea when it aired, uh, other than sometime in the mid uh, 1950s. The title of the episode is Fighter.
1: I saw Jimmy's last fight. I don't think he'd pull out of it.
2: I saw more. I took him home. He talked crazy talk all the way home and kept it up for two days. No doctor? They had one at the stadium. He said something to Jimmy's trainer, Jerry Marshall, but nothing to me. All he said was complete rest for two weeks.
1: The papers show the two weeks are up, plus two weeks more.
2: Jimmy fighting for the title is murder. Any fight he has from now on can kill him. I know, It happened to Pops, and it'll happen to Jimmy.
1: It's that strong guy again, Steve Strong. Yeah, that's what they call you, but right now you don't feel so strong. You're in Pug's bar watching the boxing on TV. The telephoto lens is giving you a close-up of Jimmy Benson's face. A moving portrait. The battered face of a beaten fighter. A boy who's going down for the count. You've seen him fall, you've seen him fall hard. But this one's different. You see the shadow of death creep into the face on the TV screen. You watch the tired face take another blow from the slugger's glove. You see the face fall, a tired, sagging fall into oblivion. When the shadow of death takes up, the referee's count. And you know, Jimmy Benson's got a bigger fight to win. A fight for life. But you're in for a shock. And four weeks later, the headlines hit you in the face. And they hit you hard.
2: I'll to promote Jimmy Benson
1: title fight. It's in the afternoon edition. And she throws it on your desk. Jimmy Benson's kid sister. Small, dark hair, big brown eyes. And only a kid. But there's a ball of fight in her. And it's coming out fast.
2: One blow from Decker's glove will kill Jimmy. I know it will.
1: I saw Jimmy's last fight. I didn't think he'd pull out of it.
2: I saw more. I took him home. Talk taught crazy talk all the way home. He kept it up for two days. No doctor? He had one at the stadium. He said something to Jimmy's trainer Jerry Marshall, but nothing to me. All he said was complete rest for two weeks.
1: The papers show the two weeks is up, plus two weeks more.
2: Jimmy's fighting for the title is murder. Any fight he has from no one can kill him. I know. It happened to Pops, and it'll happen to Jimmy.
1: Shader mm-hmm. Benson was a great fighter.
2: But he was killed in the ring. Is that being great?
1: Well, it's a part of the risk, but he fought fair.
2: I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of any man who's got a fight to earn a living.
1: The ring makes it a sport.
2: You can call that a sport when they're gonna stand Jimmy up to be killed.
1: Maybe the doctor's report wasn't so bad as you think.
2: huh doctor's report? I tried to find him, King. He's gone out of town. He's gone out of town because Al Topak sent him. This,
1: uh, Jerry Marshall, he's, uh, Jimmy's trainer?
2: Was. Al Topak had him relieved. He figures Jerry will go soft. He said that's the way I see it.
1: And what does Jimmy say?
2: I haven't seen him for two weeks and more. I never talked it with him yet. But I was going to after the two weeks rest was up. These men beat me to it. said yeah, they'd come to give Jimmy a rest in the country. A wealthy fan was paying for it, they said. Ha, huh. they said a lot and I believed them. And now the wealthy fan turns out to be Al Man,
1: it promotes the champion.
2: He's a kingpin of a betting syndicate, that's all. No one knows exactly who he is. The name's a cover. He could be a Wall Street tycoon for all we know. But
1: he's got a reputation for making champs.
2: And I still say it's a setup.
1: Or else he doesn't know Jimmy's a busted fighter.
2: You saw Jimmy's last fight. What do you think?
1: He could have won if he hadn't slipped. Even the papers said that.
2: You know all that. I mean, the beating he took from the slugger.
1: I thought the same as you now, with Al Topak promoting Jimmy, I, uh, say I could be wrong.
2: Then if you think that, a lot of other people will start thinking it. it is what Al Topak wants. Can't you see? It's a perfect pointer for a setup. He promotes Jimmy. They make Jimmy favorite. it. Dacker's price blows, and Topak's side banners move in and make a cleanup.
1: If Dacker wins.
2: If Dacker wins, he can't lose. One cat like the dodo gave Pops, and Jimmy takes account for good. And Topak wins a bundle in betting.
1: Well, he could be wrong. Like I said, the doctor's report may not have been so serious.
2: with well, the doctor suddenly gone out of town indefinitely. What
1: about Jerry Marshall? He won't
2: see me. Why? Same reason, I guess.
1: El Topek?
2: El Topek's name will shut any mouth in the city.
1: Uh, maybe I can relieve his lock door.
2: You'll see Jerry Marshall.
1: Unlike you, I don't like murder. Inside or outside the ring. You leave Stella, you get your convertible, and start driving downtown. Today, you've got the hood down, the sun's beating in on the back of your neck, you feel the wind running cool fingers of softness through your hair. There's a big blue sky above you, everything in the day points to laughter and fair weather. But every streetlight, every daylight neon, reminds you of the glitter in Stella's dark eyes. The glitter you saw come from the eyes filled with tears. The tears of fear. A kid sister's fear for a brother's. You spin the wheel suddenly and swing the car towards Jim Daly's office at Homicide Headquarters. You figure he may be able to give you a shortcut to a lead on Topak without you having to jump too many queries and raised eyebrows from Jim Daly. But with his first answer, you know you should have known better. You want to know about Al Topac? Why? I just thought I'd uh, kick around a few questions. Uh, you only kick questions around for a reason. So why the interest in Al Topak? Well, I I want to place a bet on the coming fight. I want to know just how good Topak is at promoting a fighter. You're asking me about betting and boxing, and I see one fight to your ten? No, Steve. I know you're better than that. How much better. Like you're playing a fight for a client, someone who is interested in Al Topak. You could be wrong. True. I could be, but I'm not. So I've got a client interested in knowing about Al Topak. Well, that's not breaking the law. no. Wanting to know about him isn't. But it's the reason behind your client wanting to know that could be breaking the law. All right, so I'll level with (laughs) you. You believe anything i tell you? Let's say I just don't believe all you tell me. All right. Take what you like out of this. I believe... uh, No straight evidence, mind you. Mm -hmm. I can only suspect. But I think Al Topak is setting Jimmy Benson up for a knockout. But Jimmy Benson's going to be the one knocked out. Knocked out to the count of death. Inside or outside the ring? Catch fast. Inside. Who's your client? That I don't have to divulge. Now listen, Strong. See, This time it's strong. Because if you're holding out on stuff I should know, and Benson does go for the full count, you are going behind bars. That and my client's name is all I know. Uh... Now, uh, what do you know about Al Topak? Well, nothing. Now is playing the dumb tongue act. It's the truth. On record, he's only a name. The nom de plume of a boxing promoter. He's kept his identity a secret. But this I do know. Well, go on. So far, he's played the fight game straight. Jim Daly paints a piece of white over the dark shadows of suspicion. And you start thinking you could be wrong. Stella could be wrong. But then you remember Jimmy Benson's face on the TV screen. You remember the doctor's report and his sudden trip abroad. You know, they all add up to a package of circumstantial evidence. But you know, there's one man who can maybe give you the answers. The man you were going to see before you called on Jim Daly. The man who refused to speak to Stellar. Jerry Marshall. The man who trained Jimmy Benson.
3: Sure. I'm Marshall. You want a fitness course?
1: He's old now, but he's got the build. And his face has the broken sculpture of a Boxer's
3: face. Pays to keep fit.
1: You mean Jimmy Benson?
3: I wouldn't know. He's not my boy anymore. You know what
1: the doctor said after his last fight? He told me a story, yes.
3: Do you like repeating it? No. He told it to me. But, uh,
1: you told it to Al Topak.
3: I did nothing.
1: There's, uh, some old belief. I
3: told you I know nothing.
1: You mean Al Topak's given you a short memory? You
3: think what you like. I will. Like how
1: much did Topak pay you? I got nothing, I
3: said. Topak just took my boy. That's all I know. Topak himself? No, he keeps in the shadows. He sent for Jimmy. Just the name, huh? Topak.
1: And he sells the best brand of stick jaw in town. Just
3: leave me alone. And
1: it is a setup. I told
3: you I know nothing. And
1: I'm telling you it's getting monotonous. You can't make me talk. You reckon, huh? All right, how
3: about. <laughs> Let go of my arms. You do Marshal. We learned this in the army. Yeah, and this was. the ha! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mister. <laughs> but I was one of the army instructors who taught you guys. I should have known. So you see. You can't make me talk.
1: You go out into the street. You stand on the third avenue pavement. You stand there. You figure in the middle of a dead end. And then you feel a hand clutching at your sleeve. You, mister, follow me quick. quick now. You follow the shadow of what was once a boxer. The jumping bundle of nerves of a man who took one too many. The man who lives in a life of punch-drunk shadows. You follow him into the quiet of a small dark alley... And he catches on to the jumble of words he throws. You Jimmy's friend? Sure, sure. Say it. Say it quick before anyone comes. I'm Jimmy's friend. All right. I believe you. So?
3: So i got something to tell you. About Jimmy. And Topak, too. I must say it before anyone comes. No, Topak? No one sees Topak. But I heard them say where they was taking
1: Jimmy. Who? Topak's men. They were talking to Jerry. And they said? They said plenty. <laughs> but they didn't think Punchy was listening. No one takes no notice of Punchy. I'm listening. But you're a friend of Jimmy's, and he always listened to Punchy. That's why I'm telling you what I know. Sure, sure, Punchy, but uh, what are you telling me? That they took Jimmy up to Lavers Crossing. Well, where's that? Over the river, sort of a, sort of an estate. Training camp? Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. Up at Lavers Crossing, half-hour drive from the stadium. Yeah, what else they say? About Jimmy? Did they mention the doctor's report? Yeah, 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 that's what I got to tell you. I
3: heard what the doc tells Jerry. I was taking off Jimmy's gloves. Jimmy was out cold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm coming to it. I'm coming to it. The doc says, one more punch on the right temple, and Jimmy Benson goes down for good. That's his voice. I memorized him so I wouldn't forget. That's because
1: I'm Jimmy's friend. You want to stay Jimmy's friend? Louis. Well I, I didn't say nothing. I, I, I didn't say nothing, did I, mister? Did I? You're busy listening to Punchy telling you the doctor's report, and you don't hear the strong arm creeping up behind you. He's big. And the forty-five he's holding feels like a cannon in the middle of your back. To tell him, to Tell him I didn't say nothing. You turn your head and you see the hard face of the tough twist into a slow, sardonic smile. And you know he's heard. But you wonder just how much?
3: Honest. I didn't say nothing, Louie. I didn't, did I, Mr.
1: Not a thing. I just keep talking, Mr. Strong. So you know my name, huh? Boy, oh, you're well known in these parts. Yeah, my price for fame. Uh, you got a price, Scott? For what? For what punch he told you? Like I said, he told me nothing. All right. How much for nothing? Haven't you heard? I don't take bribes. Don't say that, mister. Don't get him nasty. I saw him nasty once. Keep talking, Plunchy. Educate Mr. Strong. I I don't know nothing. Actually did talk, Ponce. I heard you. I tell you, I said nothing. 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 Like, uh, nothing like what the doc said about Benson having a soft. Uh, oh, Miss Bluey, I I don't don't know. I, I won't say it again. But... <laughs> And don't kill me, Strong, or you get it too. I figure I'll still get it. If you don't learn a lesson, you will. And the lesson? How to close a trip. If I don't learn, I close it for you. For good. Sure. Like you did for Punchy? Oh, he'll come round. You won't. And if I say I'll learn, you get ten grand and a ticket to Havana. I don't like Havana. Uh-huh. And ten grand? I like that. All right, you take a trip anywhere. So, after the fight. Hey, you're learning. For the money and the post tonight. All right.
3: Here's my answer. Let go, my God. Let go. <laughs> yeah, some people will never learn.
1: How do you like to pull the gates, strong, huh? I wonder if you have
3: Huh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: try to grab Louie's gun, but his finger slips on the trigger and a bullet starts walking around inside you. And the pavement sits up and pushes out a big black hole and you fall in. And you keep falling. And then you stop and you're floating on a cloud. You hear voices and a pumping sound. And the blackness steps in again.
4: Yes, Doctor. I'll stand by all night.
1: You hear the voice coming through a white mist. You feel fingers touching your wrist. You feel something thin and cold pushed beneath your tongue. And slowly the fog blows away, and you're looking into a face only Florence Nightingale would own.
4: So you decided to save it, Mr. Strong. What you name? <laughs> you men say most patients say, "Where am I?" or "How long have I been out?"
1: All right. Where am I? How long have I been out? And what's uh, your name?
4: Central Receiving Hospital. One week and two days. Nancy
1: department. You've been out nearly ten days. We
4: you gave you up to. But you kept
1: coming back for more. Had no place else to go. <laughs> it wouldn't take me up top when the devil took one look and told me to get the heck out of Hades, so I came back.
4: <laughs> I can believe that.
1: That's my temper, and pulse.
4: You're mending.
1: Fast enough to get out of here? Now, hold
4: on, Mr. Charles. You only regained consciousness two minutes ago. You don't mend that
1: fast. I gotta get out. All right. Go ahead. Y- you mean it? Yes. All right. I. Well... Where's my cotton
4: pants? In the closet.
1: Well, go get them.
4: No. You wanted to get up. You got it.
1: Okay, I will. Up. Oh, my legs!
4: Well?
3: All right. You win.
4: Your secretary warned me you'd try to leave, so I thought you'd better try while I was here to help you get back into bed. <laughs> Come on. Right up!
3: My, my legs are...
4: I like telling. Give him time. There. Yeah. Well, now you're back. You lost a lot of blood before they found you and brought you in.
3: Any visitors?
4: Apart from the police? To get them. Two girls. Who? Your secretary. Sander. And a small dark haired girl. Wouldn't leave her name. Hello, Benson. I wouldn't know. I was thinking out loud. Your secretary left to get some sleep. they take it in turns. About Ted Girls waiting now.
1: <laughs> what it is, is God, I don't know.
3: Well, uh, don't tell
1: anyone. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> um, uh, can I see you now?
4: I bet so. But not so long.
1: Mr. John.
2: Oh, Mr. John,
1: no. I was afraid it. To... <laughs> not
2: me, kid. It's all my fault for coming to your office.
1: I got a sticky nose anyway. It once a big fight.
2: Next Friday night.
1: But today's... What is today? I, I got to start catching up.
2: Thursday.
1: A.M.? Yeah. I've got a whole day and I can't walk yet.
2: What can we do?
1: We could have tried the police. I'm
2: scared. Punchy's dead.
1: So they killed him, huh?
2: I didn't know what to do.
1: I'll think of something.
2: We can go to the police. Hope I might get dad isn't Yeah,
1: yeah, I know. And Jimmy's a great little fighter. But
2: we got to do something.
1: Hmm. Maybe draw the teeth a little. You could only find out who Topek was.
2: The two men who came for Jimmy spoke as though they knew him.
1: Was one called Louis?
2: Yeah. The other was.
1: Mm. And the fight's tomorrow night. But
2: you can't get
3: up. You're far too weak. Yeah,
1: maybe tomorrow. No. Maybe we can do it. Now listen. This is what I want you to
3: do.
1: You tell Stella to do three things for you outside until she leaves. And while you lie back waiting for strength to come back into your legs... You know, Stella is tossing baited lines around town, in the right places and to the right people. You've given her instructions on what to say and where to say it. And all you can do is lie back and hope the fish will rise to the bait. The following day is Friday, the day of the fight. And you see the result of Stella's first job. It comes through the doorway. A big, shiny cabinet delivered to your private single-bed ward. You be
4: in a patient's bedroom. What
1: will the hospital be doing next? Well, there's a fight on tonight. I don't want to miss it.
2: Oh, you buy a TV set just to watch a prize fight.
1: Uh, I didn't buy it. I just, uh, I'm just trying it out. Tomorrow I say I don't like the cabinet and the firm takes it back. <laughs> but what time do you make um,
4: it? 5.45. What
1: is the not calling to see me today? A little dark-haired girl? Yeah. She was doing a few jobs for me yesterday. No need for her to come up and see me, I guess, but... Uh, it's strange she didn't come around and see me before the fight. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Maybe your halo of charm has lost some of its brilliance.
1: Yeah. Uh, if she calls, you'll, uh, you'll send her right in.
4: She'll call to see you. She had that look in her eyes when she left yesterday. That look that says, i like to see you. I'm coming back.
1: Bella didn't call around. But towards 8 o'clock that night, you're tuning the TV set onto the fight channel when you get a visitor. But it isn't stellar. Come right in, Louis. I was expecting you before this. I was you were dad. There was nothing in the papers until the day. I don't like publicity. Yeah, looks like I'm in time. You see the TV changed over to the stadium, huh? Yeah. But there won't be a fight. There'll be a fight. Oh, Louis, Not that gun again. This time the doctor will have to pull a miracle. You're not staying to watch the fight? I'm watching it from the ringside. Now, hold on, Louie. You're not going to switch the set off. No, just turn up the volume. All of course. The gunshot. We're all sitting I take the camera among celebrity in the And there's
3: Mr. Boxing himself. All five fans, though, Mr. Barzetti. A sportsman with more luck than mine. And here comes the contender for the welterweight title, Jimmy Benson. That thing you can see coming down the aisle, folks, between the two huskies. And Joe Mr. I ever saw
1: you got him looking, Spenton. Yeah. And there's
3: his old fight trainer. A trainer who brought him to top-class fighter until this fight. The biggest fight of Benson's career. A trainer who deserves all the praise, but gets none of the glamour because he lost Benson to Al Topak, The greatest name in boxing history. The name that makes champions. Uh, Benson's been stopped by his old trainer now. Yes, we can see him, folks, but we can't hear what he's saying. Uh, but we can take it he's giving Benson some very helpful advice. And there's no one better qualified to give it than Jerry Marshall.
1: Looks like you forgot one thing, Lee. His old train of sentiments towards so the boy. Looks like he told Jimmy about the doctor's report. Right. The report that can kill him. <laughs> now, nah, Jimmy won't fight. Oh uh, yeah, we told him about the doctor's report, that. Right. But he also told him to keep fighting. A uh, bullet says hello to his kid's sister. you got to hand it to Tope Whatever whole Topek's got over Jerry Marshall, it must be a Lulu. Yeah, sure, it's a Lulu. A Lulu like he is Topek. Yeah. His old fight trainer, Jerry Marshall. I do <laughs> <laughs> So it figures. When questions are asked after the fight when Jimmy Benson is dead in the ring, his old trainer says he tried to warn him. And he's got 60 million TV viewers to say he's in the clear. Yeah, when they go to find Topek? He's just the name. Yeah. And there goes Benson. Now that nagging fear is already making him touch you right temple. His backers should have heard, he should try for Benson's head. No, shut up. Yeah, a pity you won't know it for love. Well, then, Louis. Well, Jim Daly of Homicide in the Towel Closet. Meet Louis, no name, tough boy for Al Tobin. Don't turn around, Louis. And drop the gun, Louis. I've had you covered on the bedclothes ever since you came in. Drop it. Anyway, you're too late to steal Benson. He's already in the ring of fight. And we got a police car with a siren waiting downstairs and a straitjacket for you up here. You dress, Louis, in his straitjacket, and the siren gets you down to the stadium fast. By the time you're inside, your knees are sagging at the seams. But with a bit more sweat, you make it to the ringside. But you make it too late. The fight started. Oh, we too late. You look across at the hunched figure of Jerry Marshall alias Al Topak, the biggest man behind the betting record. Topak's leaning forward, eagerly waiting the payoff. The betting tool that could net him half a million bucks, maybe. Then you see her, small and scared, between Topak and a big husky gorilla. And there's tears streaming down each of the pale cheeks. Somehow you don't feel weak anymore. Somehow you break through the crowded aisle with Daley close behind you.
3: John, I'm oh, John. You'll be killed. Strong. Why? how All right,
1: Topack, tell your gorilla to go quietly. To those two cops at the end of the road. Tell him, Topack, do as he says. Let's
3: but watch, do as he says. Let's your All right, Topak. you're coming with us. you got to want. We ought to arrest you now, Topak. you got a job to do first. Yeah? Yeah.
1: Please, Mr.
2: do something. Like what?
1: Like calling off the fight and giving the reason. Fight. the crowd will pull the place down. Maybe you will, Topak.
3: Please, you killed Jimmy. Get
1: going, Topak. I'm right behind you. Look at him in the ring. They've both gone crazy.
2: He's not defending. He's
1: Hurry up, Topak. Get all that down and throw. Wait, don't throw it. You crazy thieves. Go on, Topak. Throw. Make him start, please. Look at Benson. He's taking the fight of the champ. He's got him against the
3: throw. You
1: get Topak away from ringside. And you go with Stella and Jim to a dressing room at the back of the stadium and you wait. And then the champ comes in. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy Benson, the new well away champion of the world. Later on, you remember the scene in the dressing room with the new champ trying to wipe tears off worship off his kid sister's face. You remember the look in Jimmy Benson's eyes as he hangs up his gloves for the last time. And you remember the fight, a one-round inferno that was Jimmy Benson's only chance. A gamble against death in the ring. A gamble that paid off and won him the championship belt. But more. It won him freedom from a fight racketeer. He helped put Topak behind bars. You figure that maybe there are rackets in the fight game. But it's the young courage of fighters like Jimmy Benson that lifts that square of canvas above the slime of the rackets and makes it a good hard-hitting sport. Like I said, I'm a sentimental, a romantic guy. But I've got a lot of good friends in and out of the force, and I like to keep them. I also like to help keep law and order in the community. I'll be with you again, but for now, this is Steve Strong, or as I'm more often referred to, that strong guy, signing off.
0: well, I actually really like this one. My favorite character in this is the nurse. And I loved how uh, she just said, okay, you want to get out of bed? And uh, he wasn't able to. And that's a nice uh, twist because so often in these programs, the guy wakes up in the hospital, ha- you know, out for a week and just jumps out of bed and gets on the case just through sheer force of will. And that won't work too well right after coming out of a coma. Of course, he does get to show some of his heroics at the uh, boxing ring. But that's after he's had some time to rest. Still probably not realistic, but... I appreciate the efforts to be at least a little bit more realistic than many other shows. It's also worth noting that he spends a lot of his adventures so far uh, totally unconscious. You know, he was out for several days in the first uh, episode we played, and then uh, out for more than a week in this one. All right, well, we turn now to listener comments and feedback. And we have some more speculations on the, uh, series. Bill writes on Facebook, I know you speculated about the series, but one thing I noticed was that besides similar titles, it seemed to have the same first person and storytelling, uh, t- style as that hammer guy. My guess is that the same people behind it created this show. Uh, and that's certainly possible. There was a series, uh, called, uh, It's a Crime, Mr. Collins, which was actually reused a lot of the same titles and ideas and feel as uh, the series The Abbots. And The Abbots was based on a book series, and so if you had written a script for The Abbots, it was pretty easy to go ahead and take it and turn it into a script for It's a Crime, Mr. Collins. And so that may very well be going on here. Uh Then uh, we have a comment from Jeffrey uh, who writes, you got me curious about the little history of when that uh, strong guy originally aired. So I went to newspaper.com and did a search for the title, that strong guy. In both 1955 and 1956, not one paper in the United States listing the radio show, but instead it had many listings in at least two Australian uh, papers with ads, the earliest from March 31st, 1955, dating tonight at nine that Strong Guy Thrilling Adventures with strength, Steve Strong Private Investigator, presented by Norman R. Smith, preassembled homes. Then on October 13th, 1955, there was an ad listing in the Melbourne Age Radio section, a picture of the actress Ruth Cracknell. And it says Cracknell plays a leading role in uh, AW's new drama series, That Strong Guy. I went on IMDb. Ruth Cracknell is an actress from Australia. So I think the reason we do not have much information about this series is that this is not an American series, but a foreign series produced in Australia. Well, thanks so much for the research on that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's not a possibility. There are some things in the episode that are uh, kind of the hallmarks of Australian radio. Uh, for example, the in-part. That tends to be something that you would hear on some syndicated um, Australian radio programs. On the other hand, I think that... If this was an Australian production, the accents are really, really good. Because usually in an Australian production, you'll have several, if not most, of the accents clearly sounding like somebody trying to do an American accent. And I don't really get that sort of feel in this uh, series. The other thing is in the second episode of the series that we played last week, where it referenced Steve's client having owned a drugstore. Well, a drugstore is not something that they would say in Australia. Uh, Typically, they'll say something like a, a chemist. Though in the past 30 years, the term pharmacist is... Come More into vogue. Um, and in terms of drugstores, I found this was just a comment regarding uh, the language when I, I did a search to see Australians in drug stores. And this gentleman who's lived in Australia for a long time uh, writes, By the way, Australians find the term drugstores and druggists rather odd, if not alarming, with the term being used almost exclusively in Australia for narcotics and other illegal products. So it doesn't seem terribly likely that uh, they would use drugstore without uh, changing it. It'd be kind of the ultimate sort of script laziness. Now, one other possibility is that there was an Australian series known as That Strong Guy, and just like there was an Australian series known as Nightbeat and an Australian series known as Superman, i.e. there is an American uh, series, and it was the basis for the Australian series. But that answer doesn't entirely satisfy me either, just because if the series is so obscure that we can't find any newspaper articles on it, it's hard to see how the series makes its way to Australia. At any rate, thanks so much for the joining in the speculation, and if anyone has any additional insights, I'd love to hear them. Alright, uh, then we also have a comment just on the quality of the series Joel writes in. Joel writes, I could not stick with this program, it is clunky almost amateuristic, and frankly boring. I hope you don't plan to air this in any volume. On the plus side, I'm enjoying Mandel Kramer's Johnny Dollar. The stories in Rocky Jordan are different, and the setting is interesting. I love Mr. Keene. He is laid back and methodical. Nick Carter is great, too. Thanks for all you do, Joel. Well, thanks so much, Joel. Sorry you didn't like that strong guy. And uh, just wait about five weeks, and we'll have something else here. All right, well, that will do it for now. Join us back here tomorrow for Rocky Jordan. And then uh, next uh, Tuesday, it's another episode of That Strong Guy. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.